This is the Talking Property Podcast, brought to you by Rewed.com, the home of WA Real Estate. Thank you for listening to Talking Property, the show in which we discuss all aspects of real estate. Now, here is your host, Harvey Deegan, together with our expert commentators, Rob Druitt and Rod Bryan. Thank you for joining us on Talking Property. Now, if you are interested in the tax implications of buying and selling property, you really do need to listen up to our very special guest who will be along shortly. His name is Paul Simeone. He's a highly respected tax accountant and he's based in Sydney at Simeone & Co. I think you are going to find this discussion extremely interesting indeed. Let's talk about the tax implications of property and who better than a person we've had on the show before, Paul Simeone, Principal of Simeone and Company. Welcome back to Talking Property, Paul. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm fine. And if there's one area of property where you really do need a specialist, it is in this area, Paul, and, and you are a specialist. I don't pretend to understand the complex tax rules that apply, but let's start, I suppose, with people who are investors. What should they look out for? Look, the area in regard to properties and taxes is is so complex. When you are going to decide to do something, my advice, first and foremost, get professional advice from your accountant or if your accountant isn't specialised in properties or or in dealing with property, find someone who is because it's really important. Getting it wrong can really, really mess up your bottom line and could get you in a lot of trouble. If you're looking at investments, generally speaking, you you buy property, you you keep for a long term, you, you invest, you rent it out. And if you keep it for more than 12 months and you hold it in your name or as an individual partnership or even a trust, generally speaking, you get a 50% discount on capital gains. Any capital gains generated from it, you get a 50% discount. When it becomes tricky is when you start doing a development and that changes the whole complexion of everything in regard to properties. People still have this concept that, well, still an investment and as such, I'll get a 50% discount after the development when I sell it. Well, no, that's not going to necessarily be the case and most likely not going to be the case. And you really do need to understand the whole concept of what you're doing. What is your intent? Because as soon as you do a development, you change the whole dynamics of what you're doing. You're not investing anymore. You're actually doing a development. Development is technically a business activity. And as such, you earn profits, not a capital gains, not a capital profit. It potentially will be a business profit and you'll be subject to income tax. So in other words, there's no 50% discounts or anything Mm. like that. So there are all the things that you really need to be aware of and understand. Then on top of that, you've got things like GST that comes into play. The construction is going to cost you, you know, so much money and there's GST involved. That's fine. You could potentially claim back that GST, which is great, but be aware when you sell it, the sale price that you eventually get for that property will potentially have GST as part of it. So no, you can't ask for GST on top of it. It has an inbuilt GST, which you must then give to the government, which again, if you do the calculations, it could actually really reduce your bottom line very quickly. Paul, Rob Druid here. It's great to have you on Talking Property. Yeah, and, and myself coming from an accounting background, although that was taxation 30 years ago, there were a lot of principles which are still the same. And we do find with clients that the first thing I do with them is to say, look, let's get the right advice before we start on this. And one of the great misnomers out there or misunderstandings is with principal residence, which is your main residence that you live in, that it's mm-hmm. absolutely tax-free no matter mm-hmm. what. And I can mm-hmm. hive off the block on the back and because it's my main residence, I won't 
won't pay any tax. Mm, maybe. <laughs> that, that is actually correct in, in the case that if it is your primary residence, you live in it, you live in it for many years, whatever the case is, and then you sell it, yeah, there is no capital gains tax. That's that's 100% correct. You, you haven't done anything. But as soon as you start developing on it... Exactly. Whoa, yeah, whoa, so if you whoa. subdivide your principal residence, so you've got a 1,000 square metre block, say, and yep. you've lived in the house for 10 years and then it's on a corner and you think, oh, I can hive off 500 square metres at the back there and uh, sell that off and get the cash and go off and do whatever. Little tax problem, maybe? It will be subject to capital gains tax, potentially, because what happens... So how does it work? How would you advise someone what their potential liability might be? Okay, well, it really depends on on what you're going to be doing. So let's use a quick example. You've got a house at the front... And it's got a decent size area at the back. So it's a 1,000 square metres and you're going to split it into two. You want to sell off the back part yep. or even develop the back part, but it's sell off the back part. But what happens is by actually splitting the property in two, you're subdividing, you've changed the character. It's not your primary residence anymore. The front part is, and you've been potentially going to stay in there or keep it or whatever yep. the case is, that's fine, that thing. But what happens is that you need to get a valuation on the original cost when you purchase the property. How much of it was building? How much of it was land? And what part of the land would you say, say it was 50-50 and the value is equal value? Say, for example, you purchased the property for, say, a million dollars many, many years ago, and the valuation is based on the fact that 400000 was the building, the value of the building, and 600000 is the value of the land. Both lands are roughly the same, so both at the same size, so you say... 300000 for the back part, 300000 for the front part. So when you sell the property, that's your cost base, 300000 So if you sold it for $700,000, that is your capital gain that you've made on, on the thing. The seven minus the, the three equals 400000 capital gain. You get your 50% concession on that because you've owned it for more than 12 months and it's a capital gain, but it's still a $200,000 tax liability yeah. on top of your income for the year. Which people, some people might think they're not liable for when they really could be. But the issue is if you, if you then develop the back part and then sell it off, well, then it stops being a capital gain and potentially becomes a profit because your intent is actually to go out there in it for a bit purposes to make a profit. And then you don't get the 50% concession and you have a $400,000 no, income. Nope, no, no, not at all. So the other question is, is, say, for example, your house is right smack in the middle of that 1,000 square metre block. You knock it down and then you put a duplex. Yep. Well, guess what? <laughs> That's going to screw things up really badly. Because <laughs> mm, you're the developer. Yeah. Uh, well, the whole nature changes again. You can't split the, the property if you because is that you know you're going to keep one of them. So what happens is you've got to then assess the fact that that when you do that development, the whole nature of the thing changes and half of it, potentially going to keep half of it and live in it and keep it as your primary residence, not a problem, but half of it will be subject as a business income, as a business profit. So then you've got the GSP, which you can only claim on the one portion that you are going to sell. The question then lies is, what if I don't want to sell and rent it out? Not a problem. Not a problem. Well, not a problem necessarily, but you can't claim the GST on construction. Mm. So the construction cost that you came, you can think, but you must keep the property for five years. If you don't keep it for five years, it's a business income, business profit. If you keep it for five years or longer, 
then it's subject to capital gains tax. Not and, so you and got all that, so Rod? It's quite simple, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paul, it's Rod Ryan. Well, He's looking Ryan, a bit confused. I, I am looking a bit confused, but I just want to just run past something. Obviously, that's why you've got to go and see somebody in the first place before you start to know what they're doing because well, it's right, just so before, complex. Sorry, sorry, Rob, before you go, did you take your shoes and socks off before you are, while you're doing the, the sums and adding it all up? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Mike, you know me well. Okay, Paul, one question. I, yeah. I have a, I'm 60 years of age, which is reducing my age quite a bit. Yeah. Say I was 60 years of age and I decided that my wife and I don't want to look after this big block of land that we've got. Yep. So what right. we decide to do, our intent is to subdivide the property and build a, a brand new, smaller, modern home in the back. So yep. do I pay capital gains on the original house when I sell that? And then what happens? I go and my intent is to sell that property. Then it's a case of once I've sold that to build on the block at the back and then move into that and live there. And so my intent wasn't so much to make a profit, but was to you know change my lifestyle from having an older home on a large block with maintenance and so on to having a still stay in the same area and then uh, live on the new property at the back. Does that cause any problems capital gains wise or tax wise or whatever? No, well, that's interesting because the key word the key th- the word I'm going to use is intent. Yes. Intent is the key thing. So that property at the front there, you lived in it, your primary residence, You that's your declaration, no issues. You, you, yep. You're going to still continue to have that. You subdivided, you've got a cost value, you've got development on the backside, on the back property. That's a separate issue. So you, you sold it, you've logged it off, you need you needed the money, you take the money and you used it to build at the back. Yes. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. That can actually be your primary residence. The key thing here is, is intent. Yes. If you do that and then sell after, you know, maybe a few months or six months or even a year, there's no specific time. Intent must be shown that this is really I intend to live here. Turns out you hate the neighbours that you just sold the property to. They can't stand you having fights, whatever. Mm-hmm. You could theoretically be there a week and sell it and think, but your intent was okay. this is my, my forevermore house, so to speak. But the key thing is if you keep doing this, and this is where a lot of people do get caught, you do this once, you do it twice, you do it three times where you continuously do it and seem to profit from it, yes. the ATO get wise very quickly, very, very quickly. They have a habit of doing that. Paul, draw a breath, mate, because we're going to take a little break and we will be back with you very soon. No problems. doesn't matter where you live in Western Australia, Rewa can help you search for your ideal home. Rewa is Western Australia and it knows our state well. With access to information and Rewa agents right throughout WA, Rewa gives you peace of mind when deciding about where your next house will be and how to source the best information by being put in contact with Rewa agents who know their districts very well. People like to shop and buy local. With Rewa, you can also search local. Go to rewa.com when seeking any information at all about property in your chosen area or use rewa.com to research the ideal location for you. Rewa knows Perth and all WA cities and towns very well. For all your property needs, visit rewa.com, the home of WA real estate. (laughs) 
We are speaking to Paul Simeone from Simeone & Co. And let's move on to another topic, Paul. We found what you had to say in the first part of Talking Property episode for this particular time. Very, very interesting indeed. Let's now talk about super funds and how you can use those to your benefit in regards to property investments. It's actually one of the most popular ways of investing these days is through your self-managed super fund. The actual self-managed super fund vehicle, and I'll call it a vehicle because that's that's what it really is. It, it's an entity that you use to do your investments to, to purchase and you must satisfy the CIS regulations, the CIS Act, which is the superannuation laws that are required to be met. To actually invest in property or any investments, you need to ensure that you have the right information, get the right advice. Extremely important because not all properties are suitable to be poured into super and it really depends on a whole range of different things such as lending requirements and everything else because firstly, a lot of banks aren't as generous in lending money to self-managed super funds because of the limited recourse borrowing arrangements. So there's a lot of things that you've got to really think long and hard, get a lot of good advice, pay the money to get the advice and see whether the property that you're looking at wanting to invest in is actually suitable for self-managed super fund. And in your particular case, because it comes down to how much money do you have actually have in super and how much money do you need to borrow? It's really important to ensure that you're not left with liquidity problems and potentially negatively geared, which is going to be silly in a self-managed super fund. Paul, Rob here again. Just with super funds, is it right that if you're investing in property, you don't do it directly with a super fund, you need to set up another trust to do that investment? Correct. That's the spot on. What it actually is, is that when you set up a self-managed super fund, you have a a super fund and you generally have a trustee. In 99% of the cases, you have a corporate trustee. Always highly recommend, always have a corporate trustee for for a self-managed super fund, just in case. As opposed uh, to being individuals, the the, the two, husband and wife. Yeah, exactly. The reason why, it might be a bit cheaper doing it, but I think the ATO are, are making a lot of noise about ensuring that people are companies as trustees. Reason why, if one of you passes away, you can't have a single trustee. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you've got to have to find someone to be a trustee and ultimately be responsible for your investments. If there's some problems, you get, they can get fined. So it's very difficult in sorting that out because if you have a corporate trustee, you can have one director, yeah. not an issue. So I always recommend spend a little bit extra, get it done. It's more flexible. You may be getting a divorce. You may be getting a whole range of things that changes a whole dynamic. One person could become incapacitated, you know, unable to be a trustee. So in other words, you're back to being one again. So it causes – and every time you change, by the way, you've got to get a new tax file number, new, new ABN, new everything. It's Keeps just an absolute nightmare. <laughs> so get a corporate trustee and just done it. Now, once you've got that, that's great. What happens now is, according to the CIS Act, you do – need to ensure that you have a limited recourse borrowing arrangement and basically it's a fancy word to say that whoever lends you the money this presumably the bank has limited recourse to go after any other assets the super fund has so the super fund might have some another property or they might have shares or whatever the case is they should not be able to touch it. That's there for your retirement and it should be safe and secure. So if you want to invest in a property, all they can do is that property that is up for grabs or that you're going to be using as security is up for grabs. The banks can take, but they can't touch anything else in the super fund. That's why banks don't like leaving yeah. super and that's why it needs to be in a beer trust, a separate trust correct. within it's got the be super fund, a, so it's isolated. Yeah. The name of the trust or the bear trust is also called a custodian trust. Bear trust is the old thing, and you need a separate trustee for that, a corporate trustee for that. Can't be the same one as the super fund because then it links the two together, oh, and, yes. and that. 
access. So it's got to be a separate thing where basically it's only got one role. One role only. You don't open up bank accounts for it. You don't open up – you have tax file numbers, ABN, nothing for this particular structure with the bear trust and, and a corporate trustee. It's there to hold the property until the debt is paid off. Once the debt is paid off, the name of that property, which is at the moment in the name of the trustee of the bear trust, will revert to the name of the super fund, the trustee of the super fund, and it will be stamp duty-free in, in all cases in Australia, stamp duty-free, capital gains tax-free. It transfers oh, over. I see. So if you buy a property for cash out of the super fund, then the property can be held in the super fund's name. It's, is it only if there's debt that you need to set up a separate Correct. trust? Spot on. That is exactly spot on. If you have debt, it's got to be held in a non-recall borrowing arrangement. Mm. So that, that's a separate thing. So once a debt is paid off, you know, you move it over into the name of the trustee of the super fund. If you've got no debt and you're buying it just from cash from, that's sitting in the thing, no issues, no bear trust, no nothing. You go put it straight in the name of the trustee of, of the super fund, you're fine. All good. You start collecting the rent, start enjoying life. Paul, it's an expensive or more expensive process and complicated process mm-hmm. if you have a super fund and you're investing in property and you want to borrow money. 100%. And the other complication is ensuring the trustees of the super fund allows you to do this. This yes. is really, really important. And then having the LVRs. Loan to value ratios, yep. Yeah, loan to value ratios, correct. It's got to be at market rates and recourse and everything else. You've got to have sufficient amount of liquidity. So for argument's sake, you might be buying a property and you might be negatively geared because of this, the way it's done. Well, that's a ludicrous draining the funds out of the super fund and you're relying on you know more contributions going in there to keep it funded. When something like that, I would say, no, don't touch it. This mm. is not the right property because, firstly, why would you want a negative gear, a structure where you're only paying, worst case scenario, 15% tax? I mean, it's ridiculous. You've got to lose a dollar. You want to, a positively to geared property yeah. because at the end of the day, the, the super fund, you want capital growth, but you also want income, don't you? But the key thing is income, uh, even better than capital growth yeah. because income is, is the fact that you, you make a dollar, you only pay 15 cents, you keep 85. Why would you go negative gear and lose, sorry, 85 cents and only keep 15? I mean, that's just ludicrous. I mean, if people want to do that, please come talk to me and I'll uh, sell, <laughs> sell them many, many investments that I'll make 85 and they keep 15. Paul, Paul I'm <laughs> going to have to, to play this back quite a few times, I think, just to sort of understand. <laughs> Paul, if That's people right, do mate. want to have That's a chat okay. to you, mate, how do they go about it? You can easily just go onto my website, Simeone Co. I'm here based in Sydney. We can talk over the phone or you can just send me an email, paul.simeone at simeone.com.au. More than willing to, to talk to all uh, many, as many clients as possible, prospective clients or investors who are just not sure. I mean, that's the thing is get advice because it's really important. Don't make silly mistakes and love to talk to as many people as possible. And how do we spell Simeone, Paul? S-I-M for Mary, E-O. And I. Wonderful. Paul, again, thank you for reappearing on the program, and I hope you'll agree to join us again sometime in the future. It's been a real education for us. Mate, I've loved every time I meet you guys because you're a bunch of very nice guys. <laughs> that, what uh, you're going to say there. <laughs> I'm passionate about properties and, and investments and everything, and you guys, well, you guys are over the top on that, which I just love. I just I feel very comfortable yeah. with you guys. It, it's something that we're all passionate about. We know it. We love it. We just want to keep going with it.
Well, boys, I found that absolutely fascinating and I had a partner in crime here in uh, Rod Ryan because neither of us understood very much at all about that, but we did learn lots. You mm. have an accountancy background. You were like a pig in mud. You oh, loved it. I love it. Yeah, well, that takes me back 30 years when I was in tax consulting, but you know, a lot of things have changed, uh, but a lot of things are still the same. It is a very complex area and Paul did it very well to be able to simplify what is a very complex issue. I guess the underlying point is that you need to be aware of the complexity of the taxation rules depending upon what you're doing, whether it's a subdivision or a sale of a property, and get the right advice up front. And it's important to have some idea of what questions to ask your accountant, but get that advice up front so that, well, you minimise your tax, which you're perfectly allowed to do, and that you're not putting yourself in a position where you're paying more tax than you have to. Well, in non-accountancy terminology, if you get the cut before the horse, you're going to be in a lot of trouble financially. So yeah, he's just a 100% on his topics. He's got a passion for property. I would suggest that if I was going to be doing something myself, I'd certainly want to be speaking to him because that's way above my head, I can tell you. Absolutely, mine as well. But we did enjoy the experience. So thank you for joining us on Talking Property. We shall have another episode along shortly. Thank you very much for listening to the Talking Property podcast. We trust that you have enjoyed the program. We are delighted to announce that Talking Property has become more and more popular as listeners discover us. Talking Property can now be heard on about 15 podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Australia's iHeartRadio and Podbean. To keep all of our episodes together, download the Podbean app. Once downloaded, follow Talking Property and each new episode will be delivered to your device automatically. Talking Property is proudly sponsored by Rewa.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Talking Property with Harvey Deegan, Rob Jewett and Rod Ryan.